May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Be seated. Wonder what kind of teacher really captures your attention. Some people are captivated by storytellers, teachers who can engage with wonderful stories and illustrations. Some people uh, like teachers who are very clear and organized. You know what the point is and where they're going. You can kind of track along very easily. Uh, Some teachers gain a reputation because they have such enthusiasm when they teach, an enthusiasm for their subject matter. Some are uh, popular because they just it's evident they have a depth of knowledge about their subject material. And probably the best teachers combine all of these elements to some degree. Well, Jesus was, of course, a famous teacher in his day, and I think it's safe to say there's never been a more influential teacher than Jesus of Nazareth. What was it about his teaching? Well, in our gospel reading, we see that the people in Capernaum found something compelling on this occasion about Jesus' teaching. And it was his authority. Verse 22 says that he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. Verse 27, they were amazed, so they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching, a new teaching with authority. This authority gripped them. They were struck by it. The word that's translated here, authority here, the Greek word has this idea of being able, being authorized to do something. It's the person who can come into a room and start talking and start acting and he or she doesn't need to ask permission. That person is evidently the one in charge. They have the right, the authority. And that's part of what this word means and And then there are other times where this word, it's translated authority, uh, depending again on context, has this idea of power. And so the people uh, in Capernaum, they're struck by the, uh, the sense of authority that Jesus has about himself, the power that he displays. But Jesus, he doesn't use his authority just to... Uh, wow an audience or or to to gain attention for himself. There's another layer to this word authority, and this is not from the Greek, but I was reading about this word authority, and the Latin roots of it have this idea of somebody who uh, gives life or cultivates life. An author, for example, the word author is there in authority. An author brings characters to life. An author brings ideas to life. And so I want to highlight this connection between Jesus' use of authority and the fact that he came to give life. He uses his authority to give life. The life that was in him, which is the life of God. In him was life, John says at the beginning of John chapter 1. That life was the light of men. And so Jesus is, of course, the Son of God, filled with the life of God, and he is using his authority to give life. 
And he does that here, and he continues to do it now in these ways, several ways, but here is highlighted two things, his teaching and his victory over evil, evil spirits. His victory, his power over evil, and his teaching. Jesus said in John 6 that his words were life. They were spirit and they were life. And so when he taught, they said, this is something different. He's, he's not like the scribes, not like the, the Bible experts of those days. Uh, the scribes in those days, I, I, I've read oftentimes they quoted other authors. They quoted other authorities. Rabbi so-and-so says this and the teacher so-and-so says that. And that's kind of how they, they taught oftentimes referencing other people. Kind of like an Anglican pastor who references C.S. Lewis all the time. <laughs> Somebody needs to tally this up someday and find out how often I'm referencing. But, you know, when you're, when you're appealing to an expert outside, you're, you're, you're doing that to bolster your own viewpoint. You're, you're drawing an authority to bolster your position or your views. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't have to do that. Jesus... Uh, he says in another place in John, he makes this astounding claim, John 12. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. See, Jesus is saying the words that I'm speaking are the words of the Father, God the Father. And so the authority of Jesus comes from his identity as the very Son of God. It's flowing from that. He, in Mark 1, is, starts off with the baptism of Jesus, where he is declared by God the Father, you are my beloved Son. With you I'm well pleased. Then he goes into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Satan tempts him on just this issue of his identity, if you are the Son of God. He attempts him on the identity. He attempts him to use his power in ways to benefit himself. He's tempting him on identity. He's tempting him on vocation. And Jesus emerges victorious over the evil one. Confirmed in his identity as the Son of God, clear on his vocation. He now comes to teach with great authority as the Son of God. And what did he teach? What was the message that Jesus was teaching? The first words in the Gospel of Mark, we saw them, I believe it was in the Gospel reading uh, last week or maybe a couple of weeks ago, but the First words uttered by Jesus in the Gospel of Mark are, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the Gospel. Repent and believe the Gospel because the kingdom of God is coming through me. Now, that word, repentance, is a word of life. It's meant to save people from death and from judgment. Turn away from sin, that's what repentance is, Turn away from resisting God and turn to God, who's the source of life. It's a word that's not always easy to hear. 
but it's a life-saving word. Repent. When we were in Florida last summer, we stayed near the beach, and every day we looked at the beach because there was a lot of wind, and we would look at the beach at the flags. You've been down to Florida, and you know about these flags. They're a warning system. And so we'd step out of our condo, we'd look towards the beach, what kind of flag is out there? If it was a yellow flag, it was a mild warning. Still made me nervous to watch the kids go in the ocean under the yellow flag, but that meant the tide was, uh, you know, it was a little strong, but as long as you kind of paid attention, you'd be okay. The red flag meant that the rip tides were, were pretty strong. Swim at your own risk. A double red flag, which there were a couple of those when we were down there, meant the beach is closed. Don't you dare go into the water. <laughs> the currents are dangerous and you might be slept, swept away. Jesus' call to repent was like him on the beach waving this double red flag. It, you are headed for destruction if you don't turn. He called people to repent. He called his fellow Jews who were tempted to take up arms against Rome to repent, to turn from that course of action, that that would lead to destruction. He called the religious leaders of the day, the scribes, the Pharisees, those who were in positions of spiritual authority who could not see their own sin, to repent, to see that they needed the mercy of God too. He calls all people to repent before they leave this world and face the judgment of God. And he's still <clears throat> issuing this call through the church and through preaching. Repent. It's a life-saving word. We didn't like seeing those double red flags on the beach, but I was glad that they were there. And so Jesus' call to repent is a call to turn to life. And then, of course, he taught faith. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand through him. It's breaking into the world. Turn away from resisting God to God and believe the good news that he is bringing. A kingdom that proclaims the forgiveness of sins. A kingdom that offers new life, eternal life. A kingdom that promises restoration. Restoration for us, restoration ultimately for God's creation. So Jesus gives this authoritative teaching in order to give life. The question is, are we taking this teaching in? Are we taking the word of Christ in? Even on a daily basis, it's wonderful that we gather together each week to hear the word of Christ. But are we living under the authoritative word of Christ, the life-giving words of Christ? Are we hearing this call each day to repent of sin and to believe the good news, to trust in what Jesus has said, to trust in these life-giving promises? Each day we need to hear his authoritative word. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to give us faith to believe these words. So his, his life-giving authority comes through his teaching. And then we see it comes in this act of great power over an evil spirit. You see, Jesus taught with authority. Then he backed up his teaching with these mighty acts. These, these signs that he performed were meant to 
undergird or strengthen his authority and his identity. As Jesus is teaching uh, in Capernaum, the synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit cries out. Now, the crying out is, is not just like a, hey, you, or you know, a shouting. It, it's this idea of a shrieking, this guttural kind of shriek that came from this man as this unclean spirit in him is provoked by the Spirit of God in Jesus, who is God incarnate right in front of him. So you have the holy confronting the unholy, the clean confronting the unclean, and it provokes this shriek out of the evil spirit. Nobody was nodding off at church on that Saturday. <laughs> They're not, not nodding off in the synagogue when Jesus teaches. There's a clash of kingdoms here. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? What business do you want with us, the Spirit says. You come to destroy us? Jesus has just triumphed over the devil in the wilderness. They know their days are numbered. Is it going to be today? Have you come to destroy us? Yes, that's the answer. He has. 1 John 3, 8, the Apostle John says, The reason the Son of Man was to... Uh, that he came was to destroy the works of the devil. And uh, the invasion has begun. It's just a matter of mopping up at this point. The demon knows the power and the identity of Jesus. The people don't understand Jesus' identity, that he's the Son of God. Even after these mighty works, it's interesting to see this in the Gospels because sometimes we think, man, if I had just seen the... My faith would be greater if I had just seen some of the miracles of Jesus. And certainly there was a connection between the signs and belief in the Gospels. Oftentimes you see that, but other times there's people they see these incredible things that Jesus did and they still did not believe. There was still a resistance. It, 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 it meant a change of life for them. It meant... Uh, again, a, a life of repentance, and it would turn their world upside down. And so Jesus performed in Capernaum some wonderful, mighty signs. This was his headquarters in his ministry in Galilee. He performed this sign. He healed the, the man who was paralyzed, and the four friends brought him you know, through the roof. That happened in Capernaum. There were several miracles that Jesus performed in Capernaum. But so many people did not believe to the point that Jesus said about Capernaum, he says in one place in the gospel, you know, there's a great judgment coming upon this city. If the things that were done in Capernaum were done in Sodom, it would not have been destroyed. He'd given them plenty of signs to believe and to believe in his identity. But they don't understand or they won't open their minds and hearts to this but the demon understands who Jesus is. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Holy One, that is set apart. That's what holy means. That's one idea of it, is to be set apart by God, for God. Jesus is uniquely set apart because he's the Son of God who came to give his holy life, to die on the cross for those of us who are unholy, to make us holy. In the presence of God. He's the Holy One of God. The demon understands this. And Jesus exercises great authority over this unclean spirit 
by just a command, a word, and the demon leaves. And there are people who have studied exorcism during the New Testament times. There were other people who would go around uh, performing mighty works or performing exorcisms and things like that, rabbis, Jewish leaders. And they say that Jesus stood out because uh, many of the exorcists in his day relied on set prayers and rituals, incantations, and things like that. Uh, Jesus didn't use any special words, no magic words, no smoke, no fire, no incense, nothing like that. He just spoke a word and the demon left just by a command. That was Jesus' authority and is his authority still today over the demonic. Now, I think it's the second week in Lent that we have another story from Mark about Jesus' ministry of exorcism. When he casts the demon out, sends it into the pigs. So we're going to come back to this ministry of Jesus as an exorcist. And I'll say more about some of the questions we'll talk about when it comes to uh, uh, exorcism and, and the demonic. But here I want to point out again that the point of Jesus' ministry here is to give life. To cast out this evil or this unclean spirit was to give this man life. His words are life. And when he frees us from the grip of the evil one, that gives us life. So this man, he had an unclean spirit. And to be unclean in the Bible, you know, was to be cut off from the presence of a holy God. An unclean person could not enter the temple. In the Old Testament. They needed to be cleansed. And so Jesus is giving this man a new life. He's giving him an opportunity to reconcile with the Holy God. To be unclean was to be cut off from the people of God. So Jesus is, by casting out these evil spirits, he's, he's giving these people a new life, a new relationship with God, an ability to enter into the community of the people of God. Evil alienates, Jesus reconciles. Evil puts people in bondage, Jesus breaks chains of bondage. Evil dishes out death and says, this is as good as it gets. The risen Christ gives life and he invites you and me to the banquet of life. So Jesus is a life giver, inviting us to grow in the life of God. Sin makes us unclean. This man had an unclean spirit. Sin and evil make us unclean. But Christ makes us holy. The good news of the gospel that Jesus calls us to believe is that his blood cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Sin. What kind of sin? Some and not others? No. All sin. The powerful blood of Jesus. And so we need to be cleansed from the guilt of our sin. And Jesus offers this. And I heard a wise uh, pastor observe, not only do people need to be cleansed from the guilt of their own sin, but today, in a world that 
is awash in sin and the defilement that comes from sin. We need to be healed from the sin that has been against us. The sin that other people have perpetuated against us. There's a healing there. There's a redemption there. There's a wholeness there through the work of Christ. That kind of healing is possible. The shame can be washed away through the blood of Christ. And so I wonder, friends, is there a place in your life, in my life, where we need to believe this about Jesus, this part of his work? He can cast out evil. He can cast out those things that the evil one wants to do and is doing in our life. The guilt, the shame, the accusation. Satan is an accuser of the brother and he will say, you're not good enough, you're not worthy enough, you're not really a Christian, you don't believe enough. It's not true. Can we look to Jesus and say, as he taught us to pray, deliver me from evil. Deliver us from evil. This is a prayer that we ought to pray, I think, every day in our world. Deliver us from evil. Let's pray about that for ourselves and for our families and for our communities and for this church. God, deliver us from evil in the name of Jesus, the one who has power over evil, who's defeated it. Deliver us from the evil of unbelief. Deliver us from the evil of bitterness and hatred and hard-heartedness and all manner of immorality and idolatry. Cleanse us, God. Deliver us from evil. And Jesus has the power to do this life-giving work. He has the power to do it. And he does it. And of course, it's a daily battle because until we leave this life, we are going to sin and we're going to be sinned against. So we need to make that our constant prayer and our constant hope that Jesus does this work of casting out evil. Now, the challenge in all this, this issue of authority, is that we have to Come under the authority of Jesus. And we have to stay in contact through Scripture, through prayer, through worship, through the means that God has given us to interact with Him. We have to stay in contact with the authority of Jesus. There's so many ways we can be distracted and turned aside. And we have to stay in contact, though, with the authority of Jesus that's life-giving. And that is hard because, again, the distractions, but also because of the culture we live in, the world that says, to thine own self be true. That's how you find real freedom. Don't, don't submit to an authority outside of yourself. Look, look within yourself. You'll find the truth there if you just dig deep enough, hard enough. To thine own self be true. And somebody has observed, I heard an interview, this person was talking about how technology, our technology today, uh, reinforces that message that you shouldn't look to an authority outside of yourself because if you've got one of these screens in your pocket like I do and a screen at home, you're on that thing 8, 10, 12 hours a day. And you can curate your experience of the world and set your preferences of what you want to see. You're in charge. You're in charge of the voices you want to hear. You're in charge of the perspectives. 
And so this can reinforce our very way of being in the world through our technology can lead itself or lend itself to this kind of prideful position that I don't have to hear anything that I don't want to hear. I can be cut off from anything that I don't personally like. But you know, anybody who's ever been a student, a decent student or a teacher knows that the starting point of knowledge and the way to grow in knowledge is to say, I'm not the authority here. I need to be taught. I need to learn. I need to be open and submissive to a, an intelligence, a knowledge, an authority greater than me. And there's no greater authority, friends, than Jesus Christ. No greater power than the one who died for you, me, God raised him from the dead, and he's still giving us this life as we submit to him. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your life-giving words, your truths, your promises. Thank you, Jesus, for your great power that you displayed and that you're still displaying. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the Holy Spirit who is with us even now to open our ears to hear and to increase faith. And I pray, God, for myself and for each of us that we would trust that your power is meant for our good, that we would not resist it or resent it. And where there is unbelief and where there is resistance, that your Holy Spirit would, as we look to you, Lord Jesus, who died on the cross for us, help us to trust your love and to walk by faith until we see you face to face. Thank you for the life that you give us now and the eternal life to come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.